And after you're able, please stand for a reading of God's word to continue through our sermon series to the Gospel of Mark. I will be reading Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in the bed and the demon gone. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. What does it mean to be satisfied? If you look up the word satisfaction in the dictionary, you'll find a definition something like this. To be satisfied means to have your needs, your wishes, or your expectations fulfilled. If we're going to be honest this morning, every single one of us in this sanctuary or online has needs. We all have expectations, we all have wishes, and so every single one of us wants to be satisfied. But the question that I want you to begin to ask yourselves this morning is this, and it's a question I want you to take seriously, because I think it strikes at one of the primary drivers of the human heart. This is the question. Where do you go for satisfaction? Where do you go to satisfy a hungry soul? You see, you and I live in a world that is fixated not on satisfaction, but satiation. What do I mean by that? Well, the word satiation comes from the same root word as satisfaction, but it means something different. Satiation is being filled to the point of excess. Satiation is having so much abundance that it makes you tired. It fills you with disgust. Satiation is that feeling that we get when we have too much to eat. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's called the meat sweats. Now, some of you know exactly what I mean when I say meat sweats. Others of you are right now saying, did he just say meat sweats in a sermon? And I did. You see, meat sweats is an actual physiological response. It's when you eat so much protein that it literally makes you sweat. Or maybe a better example would be this. Children, I want you to look at me and I want you to be honest. Did you have a Valentine's party at school? And when you got home from that Valentine's party, I want you to level with me. Did you eat all the candy in one sitting? I know you did. Thanks for being honest. How did it make you feel? 
it made you feel sick to your stomach, didn't it? That is satiation. It's gluttony. And what I want you to see this morning is that we satiate ourselves not just with food, but with all kinds of things. We satiate ourselves with comfort, with money, with lust. We satiate ourselves with power and prestige. We pursue these things that can satiate the flesh, but they have no power to satisfy our souls. And so the question for you and me this morning is where do you go to truly satisfy your soul? This morning we're looking at the story of a woman who went to Jesus. And through her eyes, we will see what it truly means to be satisfied in Jesus alone. So the first thing I want you to see is this. I want you to see that she went to Jesus with desperation. I want you to look with me, Mark 7, verse 24. We're told that from there, Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, from there means we have to know the context and what has just happened. It's the passage that we looked at last week. Jesus was speaking to a Jewish audience. Last week we saw that Jesus was speaking not just to a Jewish audience, but he was speaking to Pharisees. And he was teaching them that what makes us defiled is not what is out there that we put into our bodies, but it's what is already in our hearts. That the sin deep in our souls is what makes us dirty. It's what makes us unclean. And now Mark tells us from there, from speaking to a bunch of Jewish religious leaders, he's gone to a new region, the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now what you need to know is that this is a Gentile region. Not only is it a Gentile region, but it is a pagan place. Tyre is where Jezebel introduced the worship of Baal to the northern kingdom of Israel. You see, it was at Tyre that the people rose up and fought against the Jews during the Maccabean Revolt. And it was the people of Tyre that the Jewish historian Josephus said, these are our greatest enemies. So here's the point. Jesus is going from speaking to Jewish people, the Jews of all Jews, the Pharisees themselves, to going to a Gentile place that is deeply dark and deeply pagan. We have to ask ourselves why. Because he wants his disciples and all of us to see something about the kingdom of God. And so there at the last part of verse 24, we're also told that as Jesus goes into this Gentile place, this pagan place, he doesn't want anyone to know he is there. Now every time we see that in the gospels, we should ask, now. Why is he doing that? Why would Jesus go into a place and not want anybody to know that he's there? Because the Gospels tell us when he does that, he wants his disciples to see something. He's withdrawing in order to teach them something about himself and his kingdom. And that's exactly what happens next. I want you to look with me, verse 25. But immediately 
a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Now Mark goes out of his way to tell us everything about this woman other than her name, and I wish we knew her name, because she is a model for us. Mark tells us that, well, she's a woman. She's a Gentile. She's a Syrophoenician. Her daughter is possessed by a demon. In other words, every single one of these attributes would make her the last person that a Jew or a rabbi would ever talk to. This would be the last kind of person that a Jew would expect the Messiah to come for. And yet Jesus is engaging her. He's talking to her. And so throughout the centuries, scholars have wondered why. Why would Jesus, this leader, the Messiah, talk to a woman who was so unclean, who was such an outsider that no Jew would ever have any business talking to her? I want this morning for us to consider a different question. Why would this woman ever talk to Jesus? What would make a woman in those days talk to a man? What would make a Gentile woman talk not only to a Jewish man, but a Jewish rabbi? What would make this person from a region that is the enemies of the Jewish people ever want to engage a Jewish leader? Why did the woman transcend all of that and risk so much in order to go to Jesus? Because she was desperate. She was desperate. I want you to look again with me at verse 25. We're told that this woman came and fell down at the feet of Jesus. I want you to picture her in your mind. This mother whose little daughter is possessed by a demon. What must it have been like for her to not have any power or control over the convulsions that her daughter was experiencing? What must it have been like for this mother as a pagan, as a Gentile, maybe trying all of these different religions around her, these gods and goddesses, and none of it's working? And so finally she comes to Jesus She's desperate. Verse 26, we're told that she begged Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. Can you see her? Begging Jesus at his feet for rescue. What would make her do that? She's desperate. Now, over these last several months, we've been talking about desperation in the Gospel of Mark. How so often what we see in these people who come to Jesus for healing is this utter desperation. They have reached the end of themselves. There is nowhere else to go, and so they come to Jesus for rescue. This woman is desperate, and she comes to Jesus. She transcends and risks everything to beg at his feet. And so the question for us this morning is, what is stopping you? What is stopping you from going to Jesus? What is holding you back 
What is preventing you from falling down at his feet and being honest that you are desperate to? Henry David Thoreau wrote that most men lead lives of quiet desperation. I think he's right. Most of us in the sanctuary and watching online, we, we live these lives of quiet desperation. In other words, we're desperate. We just don't want anybody to know. We don't want anybody to see that we're broken. We don't want anybody else to see that we're needy. We don't want anyone else to see that we're just like this Syrophoenician woman. That we, we so desperately need Jesus and so we hide. We hide. As we saw last week, we hide behind costumes of hypocrisy. We put a smile on our face and we tell people around us we're doing just fine. We hide behind our self-righteousness, hoping that if we can just do enough and look like we're playing the Christian part, then people will say, okay, they've got it together. We'll hide behind Christianity itself, thinking if we just know the right things and speak the right things, then maybe then we won't be desperate. Some of you this morning are hiding behind your atheism. You're hiding behind unbelief. You're hiding behind these philosophical arguments. You're hiding behind these questions that linger when all the while your biggest problem is not in the existence of God, but do you actually like him? Some of you are hiding behind wounds. And though they are deep and they are real, you've allowed them to fester. We hide behind all kinds of things. What is stopping you this morning from being honest about your desperation and coming to the feet of Jesus Christ and saying, have mercy on me, for I'm a sinner. This woman risked everything to come to the feet of Jesus. She was desperate. You and I are desperate for him too. The second thing I want us to see this morning not only was she desperate, but she went to Jesus with a hungry soul. I want you to look with me at verse 27. This is Jesus' response. Here she is, she's begging at his feet, Lord, please heal my daughter. And this is what Jesus says to her. He says, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, if you don't understand the context, that seems pretty harsh. If you do understand the context, it's even worse than that. You see, children in those days, it would have been understood, that's the children of Israel. And also in those days, they called Gentiles dogs. So on the surface, it looks like Jesus, here's this woman, she's begging at his feet. She's saying, Lord, please heal my daughter. And his response is, why would I give what is rightfully for the children of Israel? Why would I give it to a Gentile dog like you? What is Jesus doing? Why would he respond to this woman out of desperation, begging for help? Why would he respond this way? The more that I study this passage, the more that I'm convinced that Jesus is speaking to her in a parable. The reason I believe that is because Jesus often spoke to outsiders in parables. If you were with us just a few months ago, we looked at the parable of the sower, and Jesus himself said that I speak 
to those who are outside in parables. He's speaking to an outsider here, a Gentile woman, and he's speaking to her in parable. A parable about the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is not only for the Jews, but it's also for the entire world, even a Syrophoenician woman like her. Even a bunch of outsiders like you and me. So he speaks to her in this parable. Again, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, to understand a parable, you have to use your imagination. So I want you to imagine the scene this morning. I want you to imagine a table. The father has set the plates. He's put the place settings out. The mother has been tirelessly working on dinner. And there are their children sitting in front of their plates. The mother comes out of the kitchen and she sets the dinner before them. And what do you think the children do? Children, what do you think? Are you always really excited about what your mom or dad makes for dinner for you? Or are there times when you think, I I don't really like that. I don't really want that. You see, that's what's happening here. Can you see it? Here's these children. They live in relative abundance, and here's the family meal, and they've kind of lost their appetite. But don't worry, they've got dogs. They've got these pets. And these pets know it's dinner time too, and so they come and they post up under the table, and if you are a smart dog, where are you going to sit under that table? Right next to the children. Because they know that if they sit there long enough, the scraps are going to come to them. You see, this is the parable that Jesus is telling, and this is the woman's response. Look with me at verse 28. Listen to what she says. And she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. It's an incredible response if you think about it. Here's this woman. She does not back down. She does not cower. She does not flinch. But she immediately sees herself in the parable. She does not see herself as one of the children at the table. She does not say, no, Jesus, I belong at the table. You need to give me what's mine. No, she says, I'm one of the dogs. You see, she's humble. She knows her place. She knows she has no business being at the table of the king. And so she says, yes, Lord, I'm one of the dogs. But you see, you know what? Not only did she know who she was, she also knew who the crumbs were. And she knew that even the crumbs of Christ would satisfy her weary soul. And so here's this woman begging for help. And she responds to Jesus with hunger. You see, for a dog, as those scraps fall down from the sides of the table at their feet, those are not crumbs to a dog. That is a feast. And that dog has never been happier. Psalms, Psalm 118 says that the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. That's what this is about. 
this great gift of the Messiah had come to the Jewish people and they rejected him. And here is this Gentile woman saying, if I could just have your crumbs, that alone would satisfy my soul. So the last thing I want you to see, I want you to see that this woman went to Jesus with faith. Verse 29, Jesus says to her, for this statement, you may go away. The demon has left your daughter. Now he says, for this statement. In other words, this is not some kind of a situation where her persistence has changed Jesus' mind. No, he says, for this statement, because he has been putting her to the test. That's what parables did. They exposed people's unbelief, but they also revealed genuine faith. He says, for this statement. In other words, I see that there is faith in you. The Gospel of Matthew tells the exact same story, and this is what the Gospel of Matthew says. This is what Jesus tells her, Matthew 15, verse 28. Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Friends, do you know what that means for us this morning? If this is indeed a parable, and I think it is, that means that this Gentile Syrophoenician woman is the first person in the Gospel of Mark to hear and understand a parable. Jesus' own disciples couldn't do that. Jesus had to explain the parables to them. But here is this Gentile Syrophoenician woman, and she hears this parable. She immediately sees herself as the dog that she is, and she says, oh, Lord, if I could just have some of your crumbs. She was content to be satisfied with the crumbs of Christ. But what I want us all to see this morning is that Jesus was not satisfied just to give her crumbs. No, Jesus gave her everything. Jesus gave her himself. Jesus restored her daughter. He rescued her and brought redemption and healing. This is what Jesus has done for you and for me. He has not just given us the crumbs but he has given us a feast. He's given us himself. Jesus, the bread of life, took your sin in his body and he went to the cross and he died in your place. On the third day, he rose again in victory over our sin and death. And one day he will come again to make all things new. And when he does, it will be a feast. And everyone who has placed their faith and trust in his death and resurrection, just like this Syrophoenician woman, will be invited to the table. See, though you and I are dogs, we belong underneath the table for just scraps. Jesus has made a place at his table for the feast. And one day all those who are in Christ will join this Syrophoenician woman at the feast forever. 
and we will be satisfied once and for all. Until that day comes, brothers and sisters, let us keep the feast. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. This morning we come to the table as just a small glimpse, a glimmer of what that feast will one day be like. And as we come, this is God's invitation to you. Come to Jesus. Bring your wishes and wants and expectations and needs to him and find satisfaction for your weary souls. Come to him in desperation and hunger and place your faith on him and feast. Come to Jesus. Come to his table and be satisfied. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for setting this banquet before us. Thank you that though we are dogs, you have made a place for us as children of the King. Thank you for lavishing us with grace upon grace. That though we would be content just to get your crumbs, Lord Christ, you have poured out your very own body for us. And so we pray now that you would work in our souls so that we might be satisfied at the feast today. Not only today, but tomorrow and the next day and the weeks and months and years to come. May we go to you, Jesus, and find satisfaction. We ask in your strong name. Amen.